Welcome to the table, a politics and current events podcast centered on bringing all of you, Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, left and right, to an equal conversation around the table. Uh, we host different and interesting speakers to debate and talk about different issues regarding the everyday life, such as current events, politics, and so on. I'm Aurier Billy. This is my friend Miles. Glad you're on. Thank you. Thank you. So, Pam, right now, I think the big question on my mind is how did we get to where we are in the Middle East? It sort of seems over the last three years, from Obama to Trump, there's just been a complete reversal of almost every policy that Obama had. And now there's this whole new policies with Trump. And I think you really see that center in the Abraham Accords that we'll get into later. But right now, it sort of seems that the biggest thing in the Middle East is Israel. So could you sort of walk us through why this is such an important ally to our country? Um, yeah, and to understand that, we have to go a bit back in time, but um, mainly since America is like the world superpower, um, sorry, the world yeah. superpower, and every superpower wants, to, obviously, to make, or most superpowers want to make the world like a better place, a just place, and kind of look for places where it can put an influence amidst valleys. We see that, um, I mean, not so positively in, um, say, imperialism, stuff like that, but later on the years kind of transformed something better. Um, and since we have that, America and say in Europe looks for places like uh, UK, uh, France, and that's easy because everyone in Europe shares the same values, uh, even Christianity, um, and it's a fairly stable region. Um, look at, if we look at Asia from the east, uh, we have China, which is the superpower that pretty much kind of influences most of the region, but we also have Japan and the US, which are pretty uh, close allies. And then you're left with, say, Oceania, which you have, um, you have uh, New Zealand and you have Australia. But then you look at the Middle East and Africa. And in Middle East and Africa, we, we don't really have an, uh, a huge superpower. Um, and we have, and look at, uh, look at Africa, for example, we don't have a huge, say, Christian or a big sharing of um, Western values that America kind of looks for, except for maybe South Africa. But that, that big player that shares all of America, most of American values, democracy, fair exchange of uh, ideas, freedom, capitalism, um, is Israel. And so we have an incredible corporation and security, economics, health, and um, even a lot of stuff outside of the news that you hear, such as cybersecurity, um, internships, uh, and a lot of that kind of stuff. So the same way we see America kind of choosing its allies in regions of the world, America really focuses on Israel as a way to expand um, its influence of the region. I think that's a great thing because both, both nations share very similar values and our cooperation is great. Well, yeah, I mean, I definitely think what you just said is definitely very true. I think it's interesting that you said that America really likes to, you know, have its values be reflected throughout the world. And I mean, I think that you look at American values, the Constitution, our Declaration of Independence, although we don't always live up to those values at home, they are values that if lived up to are very good values. But then you also sort of briefly touched upon how with imperialism, that wasn't necessarily a good thing. So could you sort of take us in, in your opinion, why Israel was, did not necessarily end up the same way, say, a South America did with imperialism? Like, what about Israel made it special to the sense that now we have a democracy, 
we have, as you said, very good a technological, like sort of almost center of the world, it appears. And mm -hmm. good military, I mean, you're surrounded by hostile countries. You would not, if you didn't have a good military, you would not be Israel anymore. What, like, what is it that made Israel different than all the other countries that... That's a really, really good question. Um, so if we look at what, we, what Israel did in seven years, almost 70 years, almost no other country has ever done that, ever. Hmm. Um, I mean, since Jewish people did not have a home for many, 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 many years, I think the urge to come to, to their original and homeland and create... Um, our kind of our dream country almost if you if you want to call it that uh was huge in the beginning years and obviously as you said um we're, we were we were surrounded by, ho by all hostile nations i mean in our first couple <laughs> um days and weeks of existence we had um all of the arab world basically attack us and yet we won um so that i think that state of survival caused israel to try to excel at everything we do um look at our security um, or our military is probably the strongest in the Middle East. Um, mm -hmm. Our innovation, um, because because we have values such as capitalism and democracy, and we value that kind of things, we we allowed innovation and our creative minds to flourish. And now we have amazing cybersecurity, um, medical advancements, technological advancements. Um, hell, the shared tomatoes were and were made mm -hmm. in Israel. So, I think that kind of st um, stress and state really really helped this country you know come about I'm, i mean it's extraordinary and obviously we have our challenges um and stuff like that but i think that's definitely why um it's such an interesting place to look at no definitely definitely and um one thing that i find really interesting about israel is this sort of how politicized i feel it is in the states where you know you see almost every presidential election you know israel policy Jerusalem, Tel Aviv are words that are thrown around a lot. And it sort of seems that like with Israel, there's, depending on the presidential, who is in the power, the relationship between the United States and Israel could look very different. So as someone who is sort of is American and Israeli at the same time, do you think this is a relationship that is built to last throughout the rest of the 21st century? That is, again, a really good question. Um, I think absolutely. I think if we look at it in more of like a 100, 200, 300 year kind of overview, mm -hmm. the values shared by America and Israel are virtually the same and interconnected. So a president is not going to completely break the trust and the values and, and what's going on in between a corporation. I think that um, something really, really, really drastic needs to happen, um, like mm -hmm. an attack on either country by the others. Like it's something that's inconceivable. Um, but there definitely will be ups and downs. It's it's like um, it's like a graph, if you will. Um, say when Obama and during the Obama administration, we had pretty pretty high levels of distrust between uh, the leaders. I mean, Obama, look at what happened with like the Iran nuclear deal, um, mm -hmm. where Obama instituted it, and then he told um, Benjamin Netanyahu to not um, um, deliver a speech in the UN and. BB or, or how we call him yeah. <laughs> really <laughs> went in and delivered that speech and saying that you they're developing a bomb. Um, so there was a pretty large distrust there, but then you still had the corporation and the security stuff going on. Um, with Trump, on the other hand, it's a completely different story. We have, and I don't want to get into it too much. Yeah, of course. Of but course. um, our 
security corporations through the roof. I mean, we, we moved the, the embassy to Jerusalem, which is something that no president has ever done. Um, I do, I, about that, I do think that Clinton, Bush, Obama, Reagan, and Bush the Elder all said they were going to move the embassy to Jerusalem. At and one yet they point. didn't. Yes. So it, it has always been, I guess, American policy, but it just never happened until President Trump did. Yeah. Um, and that's something we thank him for because we, we have, I mean, that, 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 that is our capital. It's always been our capital. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But keep, keep, um, I'll keep going with what I was saying earlier. Um, I mean, during the last three years, we have, I mean, actually very, very recently, we have the Abraham Accords, which is first legitimate real peace and normalization um, in the Middle East. I mean, we had peace treaties, say, and with Egypt and Jordan, but it wasn't real peace. Um, it, sorry, it wasn't like full normalization. It was just kind of, we're not going to attack each other, and I'll give you an embassy and maybe an exchange or two, and that's pretty much it. What we have in the Abraham Accords with the UAE and Bahrain is full normalization. We have uh, free airspace. We have economic um, cooperation. We have um, a joint team of scientists working on on coronavirus vaccine and um, treatment. Uh, We have different um, financial firms investing in Israeli and UAE companies. We have a first Israeli soccer player, which who is Arab, but he's still Israeli, that now signed to deal with the UAE. Um, we have our, the UAE foreign minister and, and the Israeli foreign minister uh, were invited by the chancellor of Germany um, to go up to the Holocaust Memorial. And that's not something that many people know, but- No, I, that, I, the, I, I did see that happen. Yeah. It was a very, so it was a very powerful moment. Yeah. So the foreign minister of the UAE signed on the on the thing the Holocaust Museum. He said never again. We don't. We didn't see that kind of cooperation um, in the past. And I think that's an amazing thing that we have right now. Um, hmm. So yeah. That kind of harbor back on something you said. This the Abraham Accords is just they weren't an open war with the UAE and Bahrain. They didn't even acknowledge Israel's right to exist as a country. And now they are. Is that what essentially is something that was in those accords? What, acknowledging Israel? Yeah, like, did they acknowledge that Israel was a country or had a right to exist before the signing of the Abraham Accords? Or was it a situation mm-hmm. where they were in open war with each other? Yeah. So we were not in war with them, um, but things mm-hmm. that, that process takes time. We had, I mean, a couple of years back with the whole Arab world was like, we don't recognize Israel. It does not have a right to exist, stuff like that. And then we have that shift towards Israel. I mean, it, it was like kind of from a point of they don't have a right to exist to a point of, okay, Israel exists. It's a fact. They don't need to go. And then goes on to, let's say the UAE where has full normalization. Um, and they have a big, beautiful complex with uh, three equal sized church, mosque and synagogue. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have, we had just had a ship from the UAE, a cargo ship, go through the Suez Canal and into, um, the Haifa port. So it's, 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 it's much more incredible in magnitude than people realize, because this is legitimate Mm. peace in the Middle East, um, or at Mm. least the beginning of it. Mm. Now, this is something that I've sort of always wondered. Do you think part of the reason why, as we just said, a lot of presidents said they were going to move the embassy to Jerusalem, 
it did not happen until 2018 when President Trump did. And there's a lot I can criticize about Trump. I'm not going to. This is something he did that I think is a good move. As you said, it's leading to peace. Now, do you think what's different about him is past presidents have taken the approach that, you know, if we firmly plant ourselves with Israel, all the other countries in the Middle East will say it's anti-Muslim, they're going to declare war, it's going to lead to bloodshed. But then Trump sort of said, no, if we're firmly with Israel, it will then in turn send a message to countries like the Saudis who we rely, who rely on us that they're pro-Israel. We now have to be pro-Israel if we want to be, if we still want America. So do you think that's sort of what we just recently saw? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we saw that Trump just proved all of the other guys wrong. Um, uh, there's a saying, peace follows the strong. Um, mm. If, if you're weak and you don't have any, any kind of credibility or anything like that. No, everyone's going to look at you as like, you don't have anything to contribute to us. Um, you're, you're, more, you're almost worthless, but Israel is a really strong country. And with the backing of the U S it's even stronger. Um, and people are, and these countries are really weighing into account the, the, the huge benefits we will, they will have from full normalization with Israel. We talked about, I, I said, it, I'll say it again, economic security, um, all this all agricultural, all these kind of adv advancements that they're like, oh crap, I missed so much opportunity and so much good for my own country and my own people by just condemning th these uh, this country. They're not that bad. I might as well kind of gain out of it. Um, so I think that approach is really good. And I'll, and I'll say another thing. Um, if you compare Obama's approach to Trump's approach considering Iran, um, mm. Obama gave them pallets of cash, billions of dollars in cash, and said to, and told them to not develop a nuclear bomb, which they were using that money to to sponsor terror, etc. Everyone knows that. And then with Trump, he said, "Okay, we're gonna get out of that deal, increase sanctions, um, put insane pressure um, on that country and on a regime that they cannot do anything of, of, of value as long as." I mean, even though they are, and that kind of propped the people up, the, the, the people of Iran, which is really oppressed, um, like, hey, you're spending so much money on terror and, and, and hate and killing. Why don't you spend that money on us? We don't have a future here. Um, so I think that kind of change in attitude and way of doing things is really what allowed this thing to happen. That's interesting. Now, one thing that and you can correct me if you think I'm wrong, that I actually think a lot of people miss about the importance of America and the United Kingdom in particular's relationship with Israel is, I don't think a lot of people know this, Israel is the only real democracy in that in the Middle East. And Absolutely. I sort of, yeah, and I sort of feel that it shows that if America and Britain's relationship with Israel falls apart, it, it signals that democracy is falling. I mean, it just really shows that now that it almost seems like, well, America and Israel, you could argue, might not be each other's most important allies. I definitely think cases could be made that they are. Mm -hmm. I think that what you really see is in the world stage, if something were to happen to Israel, it would be, it would mark, in my opinion, the end of democracy as we know it, because it would be a region in the world where, that's very on the rise, very powerful, that would have no democracy. And I think that's something that a lot of average Americans miss when they talk about the American-Israeli relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think... If, if what you said were to happen and if they withdrew kind of aid slash um, support, I think one of two things would happen. Either people will be really hesitant to go into the Abraham Accords and mm -hmm. not normalize ties with Israel. 
um, because they're like, oh crap, we don't have American support right now. Um, it's not worth it because they're, they're also looking at the benefits that will they get from the US. Um, but if, or on the other hand, um, and that's really, really dependent on whether Saudi Arabia goes into that accord and we'll talk about it in a minute. Um, mm -hmm. If, on the other hand, if they, if they withdraw it, may, maybe people will be really, really inclined um, to, to join that accord because um, as I said earlier, it's a lot of, a lot of stuff is based around also Israel and Iran because Iran is, is, wants to further its um, influence and control over the region, almost creating a new Persian empire. And that really threatens a lot of countries. And the only other you know, powerful country that has some sort of, not only mil militarily, but um, other benefits is Israel. Um, and that really depends on, if, um, on the US obviously, and also on Saudi Arabia. Yeah. That's no, I mean, I think that it's interesting just sort of how interconnected all of these countries are. I mean, another thing that I'd like to talk about we've talked about the word Arab and Muslims, and correct me if I'm pronouncing this wrong. What you see, though, is in the region, even though there's a Muslim Jewish people divide, also, I know Saudi Arabia and Iran, one is a Sunni and one is a Shia Muslim country. Am, am I correct? Mm hmm. Um, Can you sort of talk about the difference between those two countries and what Westerners might not necessarily know about the differences between those two forms of Islam? Yeah, um, I don't want to get into it too much, but there's basically a bunch of different ways to interpret um, Islam in that kind of mm -hmm. area. I'm obviously yeah. no expert, but this is fairly basic knowledge. We learned it even in, um, uh, what was it, 10th grade history. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so there's Sunni and Shia and have very, very, very um, bad disagreements to a point where Saudi Arabia hates Iran and Iran hates Saudi Arabia. And that's why it's critical that, um, in my opinion, that Saudi Arabia joins um, the Abraham Peace Accords. Um, mm -hmm. and well, can you talk about what you think it would have to take for Saudi Arabia to join? Uh -huh. um, personally, I think we're on the way there. Again, I'm not an expert. But I, I mean, we had the flight of um, diplomats from Israel to the UAE flew over Saudi Arabia. I mean, mm -hmm. under the radar, there's a lot of security stuff going on for <laughs> Israeli flight to fly over that, um, <laughs> obviously. But the, the, the crucial part about if Saudi Arabia joins that accord is that you have the center of Islam, which is Saudi, Saudi Arabia. Arabia. We have the two holiest um, cities, Mecca and Medina. Mm -hmm. joining with the center, uh, being full normalization and peace with the center of Judaism. Mm -hmm. That is an incredible thing. And, and we, we, obviously the economic and security benefits um, that will come along with that. But if you have the center of Islam joining hand in hand with the center of Judaism, that kind of breaks the stigma that Jews and Muslims cannot be in peace cannot be friends and i couldn't mm. be further from the truth they were very very similar it's just that radicalization kind of blinds people's thoughts and th and, and and way of um of seeing things um so i think that's why it's really really crucial for saudi arabia to go in that um accord and mm -hmm. um and if they go in we would be much less uh dependent for example on america because we have the the uae bahrain Israel, Saudi Arabia, all in peace and normalization. I think that's a great, that's an amazing beyond anything anyone could have thought of, of 10 years ago. 
that's like a, a legitimate way of peace in the Middle East, something that people thought could never be achieved or attained. Mm. Well, so we, we've used the word peace in the Middle East a lot, and I think that's sort of the way that a lot of news media, a lot of reporters, politicians on any country have talked about this. But from a portion of the worldwide left, you've got this real sentiment, is, and I've heard this, I don't know if you've heard this, is that they're saying, no, this isn't a peace deal. What this is, this is a coalition America wants to go fight Ayatollah, the Ayatollah. Would you yeah. say that's... Would you say that's accurate? Or like, I mean, to be honest, that's, I don't think anyone's saying it's a bad thing if we go fight the Ayatollah. I mean, he regularly yells death to America, mm -hmm. like, I think, daily at this point. But if, like, would you say that that's fair to put in with this agreement? Or would you say what that's doing is trying to take away from the ending goal yeah. of peace in the Middle East? So <clears throat> I think there's some truth to it. I mean, in that peace treaty, I mean, with normalization comes security and military mm -hmm. exchanges. Um, of course. But that's just completely missing the point. I mean, mm -hmm. we're talking about, and I've said it, and I'll say it again, full corporation. I don't think people realize that. We're talking about, like, peace the way that the UK and America have peace. We're talking mm -hmm. about economic corporation, agricultural, um, financial student exchanges, um, cultural exchanges. Like, this is legitimate peace. And just saying that, okay, we're doing it for the sake of security, true but you're completely missing the point. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's why it's, it's also a misconception. But um, I think that if people really realize the magnitude of that, because that we have legitimate normalization and legitimate peace with, with a couple of, I think it's, it's, it's incredible. Now you talked about misconceptions, like differing opinions from fact. And I think what you see in America is that on both sides of the spectrum, you have a lot of, I don't want to say fake news, but you have a lot of misconceptions about what Israel is. I mean, you know, you hear words like two-state solution. Yeah. You hear words like Muslim, Muslim portions of cities, Jewish portions of cities. Can you just mm -hmm. sort of, as an Israeli who's been in America now for six years, can you just sort of talk about some of the misconceptions about your, about your home country that you feel your new country sort of has, I guess? Yeah. Um, there's a decent amount of them. Um, I'll, I'll just throw out some names and I'll later define them. We have, say, like mm -hmm. Palestine, uh, Zionism, mm -hmm. um, and then the, 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 the attitude of, say, like American policy over the past couple of years towards the Middle East. Um, I'll just start with the, by defining Zionism. I think that some people, especially our age, kind of confuse because um, we have a lot of talk of white supremacy and that kind of stuff. I think people think Zionism is the belief of just kind of Israel supremacy over the region that it's only Israelis, mm. only Jews kick out. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's couldn't be far from the truth. Zionism, Zionism at its core is the belief that Jews should be, should have a homeland and that country would be Israel. Mm. Um, that's it. So when people are saying I'm not anti-Semitic, but I'm anti-Zionist, you're basically saying I'm not anti-Semitic, but I'm anti the Jews having a right to a homeland. So it doesn't make mm. any sense. Um, as for, Palestine, and I think that's people, something that people don't know. So before it was pal called Palestine, we had Judea. Um, mm -hmm. Before even Islam was a thing, we had Judea with Jude Jews living in Judea. And then the Romans came along and kicked us out. And to, to insult the Jews, they called it Palestine. Um, like the Philistines, which were like the, yeah, yeah, the, the yeah. enemies of, of, um, in that area. And then that name kind of stuck with the, with the area. You had the Ottomans um, there, and then you had um, the UK. 
And um, even under, under UK rule, um, my grandfather, my, my dad's dad, the, um, mm -hmm. he, was, he's, he was older than, than the country, had a, a um, citizen uh, like kind of card with the name Palestine on it, not Israel. So it's just what, the, what la that land was called um, for a couple of years, but it's, it's always been the Jews' homeland. Um, and I think that's, and, and it's called that now, and we're not taking away from the fact that that, what we call now the Palestinians, they have a right to their own country. I'm f all for a two-state solution. Um, we'll solve a lot of the conflict and stuff going on because each side can't blame the other for its problems. Um, so I think that's kind of the misconceptions around those terms. Um, but then you have like the American kind of approach to the Middle East, kind of mm -hmm. that what we saw in say Iraq and Syria, it's like, oh, crap, there's a dictator with relative stability. Let's kick him out and put a democracy there with an illegitimate mm -hmm. ruler that the pe people didn't choose. And then you have a failing country, but it's a, it's a democracy in quotation marks um, because it has a 98% voting rate for that person. Um, I think that the, the notion that putting democracy everywhere fixes everything is a very, um, a very uh, recent... Thing that gets yes. Yeah, go ahead. I, I can point to the exact moment when that act when when I think that actually happened. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> right after 9-11, it's right after 9-11, when George W. Bush, a man who I think is you is unique in the sense that he he, he really just sort of knew absolutely nothing, I, in my opinion, about <laughs> foreign policy. He attacked yeah. all the, he attacked all the wrong places. Yeah. I mean, I, I've never really met someone who justifies him. He said in an address to both, to both um, floors of Congress in America, he said, there is an axis of evil in the world, and it is Iran, Iraq, and North Korea. Ever since then, the United States policy has been all of these countries have to be a democracy. They have to be democratized. We have to do everything in our power to help these oppressed people. He told everybody that when we got to Iraq, there was going to be people lined up in the streets playing our national anthem. That did not happen. That's how you get terrorist organizations. Yeah. So what I well, so I think that's the exact moment you can pinpoint in history when for some, when America has taken on the role of needing to be the worldwide police in the sense of oh. everyone needs to be a mini America. I think that goes on earlier than than Bush. I mean, South America. It was basically America's playing ground for for a while. South, um, the, the the only difference. It's like the democracy versus, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That with mm -hmm. South America, you can question the intentions. I honestly think yeah. George Bush thought he was like doing a good thing and mm -hmm. then was just stunned when he's like, wait, th these people don't want to be American? It just sort of seemed like there was a real disconnect from his administration and reality. Then in turn, it made the Obama administration and the Trump administration's jobs probably infinitely harder than they had to because at the same time, they sort of had to contend with this notion that now they have to be the worldwide democratic police is hitting every other country over the head to force democracy. Um, I think to some extent that what the U.S. is doing or, or did at least um, was justified in, in some, some places. Um, but that notion of not knowing, of thinking you know exactly what this region needs was wrong. I mean, we, we see it in Syria and, and Iraq. We they're both failing countries. And look at Lebanon too. Um, Lebanon was an, am or an amazing, it was an, um, the French Riviera, I think it's called, of the, of the Middle East. It was truly beautiful. It was stable. Uh, we had a large Arab Christian 
um, population there. Um, and then, I mean, look at it now. Almost all of these people ran away, radical Islam, and, and Iran is controlling the region, Hezbollah. Um, and it, it's just, it's sad, but what you're saying is true. Is that kind of notion of, okay, let's be the police of the world. Let's fix this is a very, um, very, very, yeah, characteristic thing of America. Um, Miles, you here? No. Yeah, yeah, no. Sorry, my thing was, um, now I would like your opinion. This peace treaty, it seems, will most likely, at least till, we'll say 2045, will probably be the American policy towards the Middle East. Because, I mean, obviously, you know, world like events. in the Aram Accord? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. world events, world events do happen that will probably give us a new world. I mean, you know, there's this notion it's not September 12th anymore with this mm -hmm. agreement that you know, there's there's going to be a September 13th at a certain point where another event will happen. In yeah. the future, though, who do you see as the biggest players in the region? Um, obviously Iran, obviously Israel, and mm -hmm. the people that will join into the Abraham Accords. Um, and I think that's why, and I'll say it again, and I'll say it again, that Saudi is so critical in joining mm. that peace treaty. Because as I said earlier, the center <coughs> of Islam and the center of um, Judaism together is just incredible. And I think um, even though some people doubt the kind of the integrity of that peace treaty, I'm going to point out to the name of the, of the treaty, something that people don't really think about. It's called the Abraham Accords. Um, mm. Abraham, as we know, is the father of monotheism. And he's sacred both yes, to Jews yes, and yes. Islam. And that's kind of like a... And, and, and the sons later kind of, you know, um, went off. And then their sons and stuff like that. And then you had is, Islam was born and Judaism was born and, um, from, from each, each side's belief. So I think that just shows the notion of we are connected. Um, mm. there's, we're not that different from each other. And it's like, it's our peace treaty because the past peace yeah. treaties with like Jordan and, um, and, uh, Egypt had American and English names too. It was like, it's not, it, that's what, also, I think that's one of the reasons it didn't really work out. Um, so I think that's that, um, do you have anything to add anything to that? Well, one thing that I think is very important to look at is I think right now in the world, we're so divided amongst lines, countries, you know, militaries, mm -hmm. that I think that it's, I just think it's a bit of a shame that this treaty sort of became a political thing. I just really think that statesmanship and politics are two different things. And I think a lot of people sort of missed that message when they saw that this treaty came out. But um, one thing I would like to ask you is obviously the two people right now at the center of the Israeli-American relationship are President Donald Trump and then Prime Minister, I think his name is Bibi Netanyahu. Yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, you know, you see in Israel, in Israel and America, both have a huge following, but both also are not necessarily popular with all portions of their mm -hmm population True. and i mean there is a world where come january 20th president trump is donna is real estate developer trump and there is a world in the next election that the Likud party which bb Netanyahu is part of is no longer in power mm -hmm. do you think that this is a treaty that would change at all 
lift those two out of power, or do you think those two are too central to the treaty and the relationship? Uh -huh. that it, de it all depends on them. So I think it's not dependent on who is in power. I think in the mm. beginning I said that with the shared values of Israel and, and America, we don't have much, I mean, it'll take something really, really, really drastic to change. Um, and, yeah. I think, and I think if we looked at the Abraham Accords too, um, it'll take something pretty drastic to, to change that, especially with like the UAE. Um, and that's again, I'll, I'll say it again, it's like the fourth time I've said it, but that's mm. why it's so crucial that Saudi goes in because mm. even if, even if something changes in the, in the, in the American slash or Israeli leadership, if we have those, mm. those countries together already in a, a normalization where we can depend on each other rather than the, um, having no idea what's going on, having no allies or anything like that. Um, that's why, that's why I think this, I think it peace is definitely attainable, attainable in the Middle East. We saw it with the Abraham Accords that we just talked about for like an hour. Um, and we, we, and I think if, if Saudi goes in, I think that definitely will like make a concrete, like we can have peace, peace in the Middle East. Um, just got to sort of off a few little things and that's it. Well, another thing that I think is very interesting is it would bring Israel's tech, Saudi's oil, and then Wall Street together, which yep. I think is a <laughs> yeah. which I think would be very good for all countries' economy as we come out of a recession in the world. But one thing that I wasn't going to bring up, but I sort of feel our discussions led us there, is as this deal has happened and the Arab world is becoming more accept more accepting of the Jewish people and their religion, it sort of seems that the West is becoming a little bit more anti-Semitic than it has That's been. True. Yep. Than it has been. I mean, I don't think it takes a genius to figure out that the West is becoming a little bit more anti-Semitic. Can you sort of speak to why you think that there's sort of a flip-flop going on right now and how it views and how the world views the Jewish yeah. people? So, I think for all of the reasons that we said earlier, um, mm -hmm. the kind of viewing Israel as crucial for their for their own success and for their own prosperity and prosperity of the people that's kind of the narrative shift that's going on in, in the Arab, mm -hmm. the moderate Arab world um, mm. but I think the rise in Arab um, anti-semitism we have in the US and then and in Europe um, I think comes a lot of mis a lot a lot in um, in America it's mostly like um, either misinformation because we have a ton of that in the mm. Middle East and and um, I was gonna do a quick plug I I interned for Stand With Us, um, mm -hmm. and this is, I mean, this is basically what they do, is they, they, they combat anti-Semitism, especially online, um, misinformation about the country, and, um, and stuff like that. So I think that's, if we're the, for America, we have even, I think Governor Cuomo of New York has a, um, a, a thing that, that's his name, right? I'm not, I'm not stupid. Yeah, Cuomo. well, are you talking about Cuomo or Mayor de Blasio? Yeah, de Bla sorry, de Blasio, de Blasio. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a couple of instances of him, um, of the handling, say, of COVID. They, he's, like, has a doubled standard. Um, I think he just tweeted something um, about, like, instructing the Jews to not um, gather and stuff like that, and yet he's completely ignoring peaceful protests or po protests slash riots, riots, whereas... I mean, the Jews is a pretty small population and 
gathering compared to what's going on and they're also wearing masks. So I think that's a bit of a double standard. And I think in Europe, we have a pretty high rise of um, immigrants from um, Arab and Muslim countries. And then we also have, and then between these people, some radicals go across. Um, and radicals, radical Islam is, is the is, is the belief of, you know. Well, ra- um, radical any radical any religion anything, is not anything. A, is, is not a, is not a good thing to be proud of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so these people go to these communities with, where it's a high um, Muslim population, and then they go to the youth, and they kind of because these people came from, I mean, they're ref- refugees. They came from like places like Syria and Iraq, and there's like there's mm-hmm. that. There's nothing there. And so they just kind of go around and just tell them it's also because of the Jews. It's because of, uh, of Israel. They, they took it from you. So I think that's a huge contributor of anti-Semitism in Europe. And then again, we also have the misinformation and that whole mm. thing. I mean, I had an argument with someone yesterday um, or not yesterday, a couple of days ago, um, talking about like Zionism. And he had no idea what it is. He's like, I'm anti-Zionist. I'm like, that's anti-Semitic, my guy. Zionism is the belief that Jews should have a country. Um, and there's a lot of misinformation because they're saying genocide and they're killing everyone and they're killing babies. And it's, it's just not happening. So I think with, um, I think the media, especially in the U.S., contributes a huge role in that kind of, in, in that rise of misinformation and that leads to anti-Semitism. Um, but that's it for the West. And then, and then, as I said, for the Arab world and the Muslim world, it's, it's getting warmer by the day. Mm-hmm. That's, that's interesting. I mean, now let me ask you something. Do you think that the rise of populism in the Western world is to blame for sort of the rise of anti-Semitism? Because it sort of seems that they have not necessarily coinc- not coincided in the sense they're mm-hmm. driving each other, but they've sort of both come about at the same time, it feels for the people who are listening and don't know what populism is, can you define it real quick? Yeah, yeah. Populism is, it originated in America with Andrew Jackson. He's sort of the first real populist leader. And what it sort of is, is a lot of it is, in essence, populists will say it's giving power back to the people. A lot of historians, like the historical philosophical, philosophical society says, it's mainly a political approach that strives to appeal to ordinary people who sort of feel they've been ignored. And then it sort of it, it sort of has this anti-elite component to it. Mm-hmm. And then, it, but what it mainly is, is it's politics, in my opinion, from the down up, where the ordinary people yeah. are the ones who they want to be driving the change, not necessarily the people in smoke-filled rooms. Yeah. So you think, so you're asking why populism, if populism contributed to rising anti-Semitism? Yeah, or like, do you think that it just sort of is uh-huh. coincident that they're both sort of becoming legitimate beliefs at the same time? I think there's a bit of like inter inter intertwining between them. I think that there's that crazy notion that the Jews are controlling everything, that they're controlling the world, mm. and they're controlling elections, they're controlling everything, and that's again, it's anti-Semitic. That's first of all, but I don't want to just mm-hmm. go around throwing around that term. I just people genuinely believe that and if you have a rise of populists that despise authority and they don't like the people in power and it's like oh the elitists are controlling us and then you feed them the lie that jews are the ones controlling us like say um far farrakhan i think that's his name louis farrakhan uh, yes. yeah head of the, he's head for those who don't know he's head of the nation of islam it's it's a group that has a very very hateful, but then also at the same time has given us, gave us Malcolm X. 
So it's sort of a group that no one really condemns, mainly because of that. But they have some yeah, very, he's very, the most, very probably bad. the most anti-Semitic person. Yes, in, I would, in, in America, America the world. It's crazy mm. in America. Well, he's he he has some, he said some things that are truly truly important it throughout is, no, his life. He, he genuinely believes it. I think if, if you have mm. people like that that are pushing the mm. the is Jews control everything and they're devils and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And then you have rise of people who are despising authority and elites. I think that kind of just, uh, connects, but I don't think that's the main, or at least I don't think populism mm. is the main thing um, um, contributing to anti-Semitism. It's people like Louis Farrakhan. It's um, mm. bi- biased media and people not knowing what they're talking about. It's misinformation and misrepresentation of Israel and its policies in the media um, to people who would never never really questioned it, never took it to their own hands and never just com- just believed it blindly. I think that's the main thing that's going on in America. Um, and that's why you, that I'll say that's why um, I chose to enter in for stand with us, for example. Mm. Now, final question. Mm-hmm. When you say two state solution could come out of this, do you think a two state solution would be just having them keep the Gaza Strip and West Bank? Or do you think it's a integrated society where you guys all live together in peace or do you think it's land land somewhere else there's a country called palestine now well it's in the name two-state solution i mean it, it's a, this yeah. solution is taking the, the 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 areas that the palestinian authority controls and giving them sovereignty sovereignty over that region they control that region um obviously there will be i mean uh, that's the trump plan to be honest um, which the, the PA has refused to accept. It's it's the only legitimate, um, feasible and reasonable um, solution and slash plan that we have for a two-state solution. Um, that entails also Israel kind of controls slash over, overlooks that security and um, obviously the airspace because there is a bit, um, if you're giving them their own country, they have, they have rights to kind of bring in whoever they want. So you do want to look at that. Um, I think that that's the, what would make the most sense to me, um, a two-state solution that will be fair to both sides. Um, and that way, each side can stop blaming the other for stuff that's going on. Um, and they can, and obviously, and I really hope that, say, the people that lived in the West Bank can kind of choose their own kind of leader and stop having leaders that have robbed them of aid money and take it towards terror and build schools and build, and then I hope they can, they're able to build schools and hospitals and, and prosper and, and live a good promising life, which they cannot do right now because they're the people who are controlling um, the West bank really don't want that. Um, so I think that's, that's just my two cents on it. Um, and I think, uh, that's a good place to uh, wrap it up. Now, if you have any questions, if you have any questions for me, you can ask them. But if not, we can wrap it up. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't know. Honestly, I'll ask you this though. Um, yeah, go ahead. What, what do you personally think about the Abraham Accords? I, I, I mean, I spoke for most of the podcast and told, yeah. told them what I thought. But um, what, what do you think? Uh well, I certainly think that it's a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. I think that, as you said, it would, if Saudi Arabia joins it, I think it would be a really big, like, move moment for the world. I definitely also sort of have this feeling that, as you said, military aid will be a part of it. I think it's definitely a peace, 
I definitely mm-hmm. think it's a peace treaty, but then at the same time, peace by strength is sort of the way of the world at the moment. My only, qu- my only question or thought for me is I sort of more think on the U.S. side. My yeah. personal opinion is that I think Jared Kushner was probably the person who drove it. Maybe not necessarily, um, maybe he's, not he's necessarily Secretary of State Mike Pompeo or President mm-hmm. Trump. They were all pivotal. Yeah, I think it was Kushner who was the main person behind it. Yeah. Um, I think that's a great way to wrap it up. Do you think so? Yeah, I think that's a good way to wrap it up. Um, For all our viewers, thank you for tuning in. Mm -hmm. So thanks, guys, again for listening. Um, I'm Ori. That's Miles. um, And we'll catch you in the next one. 